Hi, this is Stuttering John Melendez from The Howard Stern Show. And for some really stupid reason, you're listening to the... Insufferable Bastards. Great name for a podcast, morons. All right, speaking of people you don't want to hang out with, I happened to stumble across this show hmm. on YouTube hmm. called Insufferable Bastards. Hmm. Treasure to me. I love Judge oh, Dredd. I absolutely love Judge Dredd. The perfectly fine. Insufferable bastards. Uh, those of you that are into podcasts like to listen to that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, you know. Hello, Internet. Welcome to Insufferable Bastards, a podcast of some sorts. My name is Carlos Danger, and I am joined, as always, by a guy with a good microphone, Mr. Brian Spears. Hello, Brian. And I should probably turn up your mic. I'll say that again. Hello, Brian. Hello, hello. Yeah, and I'm not going to I'm not going to edit that out. Screw it. We'll do it live. So uh, this week we're going to be talking about the evil that men do, which is a 1984 Charlie Bronson movie. I think I can call him, call him Charlie. But before we do that, I had put something out that actually got a reaction from people, which is on social media is a very rare for this podcast. But I had, uh, there was some news. I don't even read the article, but Steven Spielberg is doing something with Bullet. He's writing a new story or he's attached to a new project that apparently isn't a remake of the Steve McQueen classic that we talked about previously on at least two other episodes of Unsufferable Bastards, but he's doing something. So the obvious question is, who is going to play the Steve McQueen character? And we had Lisa from the uh, Media Film Fest in Media, Pennsylvania, pick Chris Evans, otherwise known as Captain America. My picks for this, by the way, would be either uh, Michael Shannon. Well, I'll just do one. I'm going to say Michael Shannon. Brian, who would you pick to play the Steve McQueen character? Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, wow. Oh, I thought I thought I, would, I, I didn't name my other guy. I thought you would say Frank Grillo right off the bat. No, 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 because he's too B-movie. Uh Jessica Dwyer what? says uh, she just posted, this is on Twitter, she just posted a GIF of, or GIF, whatever it's called, of what's his name, Daniel Craig getting out in the in the first, his first James Bond movie too, where he's all, but he's all shirtless and sexy. I might also say uh, Timothy Oliphant. Okay. Just because I'm in love with that guy. That um, is definitely your man crush. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. Also, like a Woody Harrelson could be really good. Um, I don't like that. And then... And then uh, the guy that I'm, I'm going to bring up later on in this episode, Scoop McNeary, should just be in everything. Mondo Creepy said Mark Hamill as deep fake Luke Skywalker playing deep fake Frank right, Bullet. Right. We got a little stop little... being stop being ironic. <laughs> Mondo Creepy Creepy being a little too hip for Brian's taste. Forgotten Cinema, another podcast, said. Mm -hmm. uh, Damien? Is that the guy's name? Damien Lewis? Damien Lewis? But see, he played him, I think... Wait, let me finish he... the thought. No. This guy, they, Damien Lewis played him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Let's run that back. Okay, what were you going to say? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, but that's we've seen that already. I'm going with And Mike it shouldn't Shannon. be somebody with... I See, Michael Shannon's a great choice. Thank you. All right, cool. So that's that. And I'm okay with that. Steven Spielberg. Uh, I think Bullet's a movie that, that could be updated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a great movie, but I, I'm, I'm okay with them trying that again or doing something new with that, especially if it's Steven Spielberg. He'll do something that's got to be cool, right? I didn't see West Side Story, but Twitter tells me it's good. All right. So let's get to the task at hand, Brian. We actually prepared for this one slightly. At least, at least more than we do for our usual episodes. You're welcome. It's free. What do you people want? But all right. So, and by the way, this is episode 225, I think. I don't really, I'm, I'm bad with math, but I went back and I counted and I believe we're at episode 225 of Insufferable Bastards. So a year ago, exactly a year ago, March 2021, we revisited and talked about and did an episode on 10 to Midnight, a really bad Charles Bronson movie that's developed pretty significant cult following because it's sort of a slasher film and the movie's pretty much uh exploitive trash it's got really no redeeming value so people like it you know it's it's something different i guess and it's that's heavily time, it's heavily featured in uh, all those like canon docs like uh electric boogaloo 
so yeah yeah it's uh it's major 10 to midnight was major canon style movies it's definitely unique and i'm not saying that it's just it is what it is and at the time of that recording we had talked about we had planned to revisit the evil that men do as well but because we're morons like and and we're cheap we didn't want to rent it and now it it turns out it's it's been on youtube for like 10 years there i actually rent it no no i didn't rent it i'm sorry i i did rent it you you did you you spent the how much well who'd you rent it from oh it was 2.99 i mean i'm not going to complain about a 2.99 but you know what it is is i had stars but i recently had a big fight with my cable company so just got rid of cable so i had it forever dog barking Oh, I can't even hear. But I, I had it free forever. And then I was like, or I did you? Because let me tell you something. I got it from stars. Well, OK, right. I got it from the streaming app through. I I have stars through Prime, Amazon Prime. Right. Mm-hmm. I know this is boring mm-hmm. people. It's edited. The version I have that, that they have on stars that I watched for free because I'm a subscriber to stars and Showtime, or whatever that package is. It's heavily edited. All the violence is edited out. Uh, e- even some of the some of the scenes that I'll go into once we get going, but it's heavily edited and it looks like it was taken from uh, it's it's really bad quality. Uh, I mean, some of it I don't mean to insult Glenn Baisley, but some of the backgrounds are all washed out, like out the window. It's really poor quality. But it just made I was sitting there watching the movie and I'm like, I remember this being bloodier as a kid. Sure enough, I went to YouTube. First thing that comes up, full version of the evil that men do, posted wherever on YouTube, much higher quality picture, and all the graphic violence that was in the original film. So I where'd you rent yours? Uh, on Amazon. So I've got to look that up because, I mean, I will say picture quality was not great. Did now uh, okay? Like let it, me. Here's the, here's the tell, and this is might sound perverted. All right, in the in the scene where he grabs the guy's crotch, the famous scene, yeah. infamous scene in the bar. Did you see him grab him by the crotch and he twists the guy's crotch and all that, or was it yeah. kind of? All yeah. right, so you got the unedited. Mine, mine. That's that's edited out. It's implied, but edited out. So it was really. I I, I don't know. I'm I'm angry. But like, and the thing about it, I have like sort of a history with this. Uh, as a kid, I always liked the evil that men do like i remember it being okay. sort of a, a sort of a vicious sort of a kind of nasty charles bronson movie and it was like the last thing in my Did you memory see it in theaters no 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 i saw no. it okay. it must have been vhs and then it was on cable a lot yeah. uh, as a kid and in my mind it was the last good thing he did before he just went off the deep end making like you know Death Wish 9 and, and all those crappy yeah. movies he did, Messenger of Death, uh, towards the the end of his career. So, it, I mean, short story, or long story short, it took us a year to actually watch this, but I watched it this morning, and I'm I'm excited to talk about it because it's, it's such a bizarre film. Isn't it a weird movie, Brian? It's, uh, for me, it's reminiscent of 70s and 80s TV shows. I just think there's a style of movies that they don't make them the way. Well, this, yeah, this is, uh, it's very old fashioned in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's because it, 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 I mean, before you watch this movie, you have to accept the fact you have to prepare yourself for the fact that it is a B movie. It is a true B movie. It's a low budget Charles Bronson movie from the early eighties. And yes, there are things about it because it's directed by what's his name? Jay Lee Thompson. He made the guns of Navarone and Cape fear. Yeah. two classics but so this is an older gentleman so in the yes. 80s now he's making these chuck bronson sort of action movies and, it and has, i don't believe it has an was... old-timey feel just like you said from the soundtrack to the shots it has an old-timey feel also paul talbot who's the definitive charles bronson expert wrote two books of bronson bronson on the set bronson on the loose i think it's called he has uh, an article from cinema retro I don't know when it was exactly published, but I guess Jay Lee Thompson was going to do the movie. He was one of the producers yeah. on the movie. Then he, he was like, no, I got to do something else. I'm finishing up 10 to midnight. They bring in a guy who did commercials, who started working on the movie. And I guess, according to this article, it was terrible. I'm trying yeah. not to curse. He blanked the bed, right? So then they brought in Jay Lee Thompson to rescue this thing. And some of that, it does show up because there are, it's like, there's different styles going on. You have this Knott's Landing type show. Like you said, it's like an 80s soap opera to some extent. And then yeah. these, it, these scenes of incredible violence, and uh, they at least especially the ori- for the time. They said the original director also left all the action. He just 
like wanted it at the he end. He wanted no part he, of it. Cause, yeah, because yeah, he didn't know how to do it. Like yes. he was definitely unaware of how to do it. This was shot like a B movie where there wasn't a lot of coverage, meaning they didn't get a lot of angles. A lot of it's like one setup and then close-ups, close-ups, close-ups. Speaker, and speaker, read, speaker, speaker, right? Like yeah, that. Like yeah. And I read that on this one, uh, Bronson had an eight hour a day contract. So after eight hours, he was done. But I'm telling you, man, there was no way in this movie, just the way they shot it. Like he had his eight hour day. You can tell they block shot, meaning they, they would shoot from one angle the whole day. Like, Hey, we're the next. So like, it would kind of be, every, you know, the way the scene works, anything that comes into that angle, you're just shooting that angle. So out. L- let me ask you it. Cause I'm, a, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I think if and, I translate, it up, hold on. that's why, well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not saying I'm trying to uh, uh, repeat it back to you as me being a moron. It's, it to me, it's like a choppy. There's it's there's yeah. an awkwardness to this, and there's a lot of inserts of yes of uh, Charles Bronson reacting with a smile to various things. I mean, right off the bat, and I guess I should play the clip. Well, let's let's talk before I go into that. Uh, I should do a one sentence summary because we can't assume. I think with the evil that men do, that people have seen it. You know, it's not like uh, the, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre no. from Netflix that the entire world. Uh, watch. Oh, and by the way, shout out to the Nomcast had Larry. That's another podcast. Netflix original movie podcast. They had Larry Dwyer on from Connecticut Cult Classics and the CT Horror News Network. It's a pretty interesting take on uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, our friends at Pina Comics, who recently launched a Patreon, did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That was a good one. And I guess Shocking Things, another one of our Connecticut-based or tri-state area-based podcast just did their episode on Texas Chainsaw. And, oh, I should shout out Super Retro Throwback Reviews. I was a guest. They have a Patreon as well. I was a guest that came out a week ago. But anyway, all right, so here's a one-sentence plot summary of Evil That Men Do, and I'm about to cough. All right, I coughed off mic. Charles Bronson plays Holland, a contract killer who comes out of retirement to hunt down the doctor a British nationalist and torture expert who helps various military regimes in South America maintain power through fear and mutilation. And I guess uh, the cast, right off the bat, I mean, other than Charles Bronson, of course, the cast is really interesting because there's a lot of known or at least Maybe not known in, in 2022, but it's a name cast in sort of what's a schlocky B movie. Teresa Saldana plays Rihanna. Her husband, a journalist, uh, is tortured and killed by the doctor in the movie's opening scene. This movie very quickly establishes who the bad guy is. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's almost comical how like he's the most evil man in the world right off the bat. Uh, The murder is what gets Bronson out of retirement because Bronson is a retired contract killer to hunt the doctor. Uh, The movie was Saldana's first feature-length theatrical release after she was almost killed in a knife attack carried out by a crazed fan uh, in the 80s. She was definitely cut from a different cloth, I'd say. Her first project after almost being murdered in broad daylight on the street was a TV movie recreating what happened to her in which yeah. she played three roles. Do you have any memory of that? I, I I vaguely remembered her and looked her up and was like, all right, now I, rem- I just remember the tabloidness of it and being an interview thing. She was on one of my mom's soap operas. So I knew like vaguely who she was. And, and, and the whole time watching this, I kept saying, like, I know this lady. I know this lady. That's I, what my know, wife like, said, too. Yeah. There's yeah. So of- she. It's like that movie star thing. When you see a movie star, they always seem familiar. It's like that weird magic screen thing that happens, I think. And then I guess like, so the point where uh, there was rumors that maybe Jill Ireland would be in this movie, but they wanted to go with this different direction. Well, apparently Jill Ireland, from what I read in that Paul Talmit article, she was a producer on this. And she was a producer. Yeah. She's the one that said hire Teresa Saldana. Yep. Yeah, because I guess she was having Saldana was having trouble reestablishing herself as an actress, getting that next job. And then she even went to her her group, her support group and and said, like, this is the job I'm taking. This is why I'm taking it. So she like took it seriously. Uh, you know, I I wish it was a stronger role for her, but well, I, it, you know, it is given the back, given what happened to her. And yeah, she did form a nonprofit. I think it's called 
I don't know if it still exists, but it was Victims for Victims, an advocacy group for uh, people, uh, victims of violent crime. And I guess got a law, I guess back in the day, you could look up anybody's driver's license and get yeah. their address, which is what led to her. And I think Rebecca Schaefer, yep. uh, who was, uh, what was that show called? Not My Two Dads. I don't remember, uh, but she was she was murdered. My Sister Sam or something my like that? My Sister Sam. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot to Teresa Saldana, but it is awkward to see her in this movie that's, it's exploitation. Yes. Uh, so it, it's a, you know, it, it, it's definitely glorifying violence, but I guess I read somewhere, maybe it was Paul Talbot again, the preeminent expert on Charles Bronson, that she felt since her character was uh, nonviolent, that this non-violent, was okay. Nonviolent, yes. But there, yes. It's, part also, of, it's part of the weirdness of the movie, though. The, the, the back and forth between Bronson and Saldana, their characters, is really bizarre. And just harking back to what Brian said, we'll go through the cast a little more, but Brian had mentioned, uh, well, I described it as, as choppiness. Brian actually described it professionally about the way they block shots. But here's what we're talking about here. This is a scene, this is obviously audio only. It's like five seconds. Can so, I guess the scene you're going to play? Okay, yeah. He reads the lips. <laughs> no, because that would be too much dead oh, air if when oh, he was right, actually right. reading the lips. No, this is at the beginning of the movie, right? So we see the journalist gets killed. Teresa Saldana's mm-hmm. husband is tortured to death in the opening scene by the doctor, who is, by the way, played by Joseph Marr. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy who has a thousand credits on his IMDb, usually played comedic roles where he was like an uptight aristocrat. He's in Sister Act, according to IMDb. I never saw that movie, but I think I, he's very well chances, known. Second chances with uh, Chandler Bing. I think it was Chandler Bing's first role. Oh, no kidding. Or, or first sitcom on, on Fox. Like, yeah, and he was like the stodgy butler, but I think he was a ghost. Right, stodgy. Yeah, this guy is the perfect stodgy butler. Uh, so he, you know, he's the doctor. He kills the journalist, and then uh, they they go to Charles Bronson's place, Miguel, uh, Jose Ferrer. Jose, yeah, yeah. And uh, Bronson is living like on this tropical island. Looks like Barbados. They don't really, I guess it's the Cayman Islands, according to IMDb. I don't know if that's true. But all right. So they, you know, he has a discussion. He, he, he watches these horrible VHS tapes where the victims of the doctor who've been tortured by him, you know, in this police state, relay these, hor- I mean, the most horrible stories you could relay. It's actually pretty effective little scene and Bronson is just watching them and then he still says no which is almost kind of comical the guy's like oh, I broke he watched he broke my child's bones right in front of me but not convincing but then whatever Bronson has a chain of change of heart and he's walking on the beach and he says this good morning Quasimodo good morning Quasimodo Bronson speaks to a random seal and it's clearly b-roll i mean it's just that that seal was not well not even not even from that part of the world yeah and there's weird stuff like that that we had mentioned earlier all right so we talked about joseph more other cast members as i just said academy award winner jose ferrar or ferrer has a very small part as the guy who convinces bronson to come out of retirement and for those of you who don't know jose ferrer was in the cane mutiny Probably, you know, he went toe-to-toe with Humphrey Bogart in the K-Mutiny and probably the greatest courtroom scene ever filmed. Then we have Rene Enriquez. He was on Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues. He was a lieutenant on Hill Street Blues. I was like, yes. That's crazy. All these, like, this these heavyweights. Uh, and then another one is... John Ra- Glover? Wait, hold on, hold on. I, oh. I, was, I was saving that for last. God damn it. Raymond St. Jacques. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Yes. He played uh, uh, one of the doctor's minions like his top kind of heavy bodyguard type he was in cotton comes to harlem he back in the day called for minority representation in science fiction movies like star wars so he was an activist yale educated shakespearean actor and he played the street preacher in they live and he has an earring in the 80s (laughs) yeah there's a whole i guess we'll get into it in a second that character is really interesting and then last but not least the aforementioned john glover one of our great character actors the best villain one of the best villains of all time in the movie 52 pickup if you haven't seen that uh do you have anything to add about john glover having met him he's a really cool guy and an interesting guy i didn't that's all i'll say i yeah i didn't know if if that's something that's all i'll say but I, i he's definitely a character both actor and in real life and and a very nice guy but also great, you know, he he gives uh, Miguel Fier- Ferrer, Ferrar, Ferrer. Yeah, well, the, it's the Ferrer, son, actually. 
the, yeah. the son from RoboCop. Yeah, from RoboCop, a run for his money in like scumbaggy roles. <laughs> right. Like, especially yeah. like in the 80s. Like he's the perfect American scumbag. But I guess uh, he was in Fear of the Walking Dead and Smallville. Probably if you're, yeah, if you're not, yeah. you know who we're talking about. He's the guy with the he's long Lex face. Luthor's dad in Smallville. There we go. Boom. He was in Scrooge and Gremlins too. Uh, so that's the cast, and it feels like I mean, again, we said Jay Lee Thompson, Guns and Navarone, uh, 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 whatever the other one was that I Cape Fear, the original Cape Fear. It's like he got this all his buddies together. <laughs> You know, like, this movie was supposed to be a canon movie. You know, I have like, that. I have that. Here. Okay. Like, the making of, like, let's talk about them. And we're totally stealing the Pina Comics structure here. Uh, if people like this or not, either if you like it, it was our idea. If you don't like it, blame Pina Comics, our, our buddy podcast. Uh, so it was released in 1984, a year after 10 to Midnight. The movie was directed by J. Lee Thompson, like we said. We've said that many times. Uh, to, just to note, the last movie J. Lee Thompson directed was Kinjite, Forbidden Subjects. Kinjite, yes, that's right, yeah. Not a good movie. Uh, let's see. Uh, talk. Okay, here's what you were talking about. And this is from Cinema Retro, Cinema Retro Magazine. The article was titled Special Report, Paul Talbot on the Making of the Evil That Men Do. The movie was set up by a guy named Poncho Conner. Or Connor, maybe K O H N E R, and he was the son of Bronson, Bronson's agent, according to this article. Uh, Connor, I'm going to call him Poncho. Poncho got rights to the book. Bronson initially didn't want to do it, but then purchased the rights uh, to the novel in a partnership with uh, Poncho and Jill Ireland, who's of course Bronson's wife, and Jay Lee Thompson. So they had this production thing formed to make this movie. And like you said, it was supposed to be done with Canon Films. Canon Films had yeah. just produced and distributed Death Wish 2, which was made for very little money and made, was a huge international hit. Huge hit, yeah. So, and I, I don't even, I mean, I remember Death Wish 2, but I don't remember it being such a, you know, a massive hit, but it was. But, I, you know, Canon being cheap, couldn't um, agree on a deal. So it went to ITC Entertainment. And that's the company that distributed The Muppet Show. Brian and I are 48 years old, so anybody our age might recall at the end of The Muppet Show, when the credits rolled, I'm digging through my first grade brain here, but there would be a logo. It would be like yeah. three boxes kind of stacked on the in corner to corner under each other, and it was ITC. So they did The Muppet Show and The Evil That Men Do. Uh, yeah, and that's that. And then there's all, you know, the whole making of, we already talked about how it was definitely a troubled production. You can't get any more troubled than that. Uh, and I guess some of that reflects in the movie. And just randomly, I mean, I, you, I almost said this before, but Bronson is Antifa in this movie. In, in a weird way, if you, you know, Antifa being anti-fascist, Bronson is the ultimate yeah. Antifa, which is kind of funny. I also thought, they, Brian, they, go ahead. Well, they also said uh, in some of the notes that I looked up and in one of the reviews I read that someone else did on this, they basically said the book was very dense and it's, it was more of a political thriller. This movie's like that, it's like uh, Dumb Man Salvador. That, that but that's Oliver what Stone I was going to say. Yeah. There, there's, there's, it's almost confusing because really the plot is that simple. He, he's just hunting. He's just he's got to hunt down the doctor and kill him. Right. For some reason, it takes a while. Yeah. And they bring in CIA character John Clever. John Clever plays essentially a CIA guy, and it's a little, it's a little yeah. It's it was it's it's a little it's hard to follow. I'm glad you said that because I had the same thing. And I mean, I tried watching it once like a week ago and I actually fell asleep and I was well, like, that's, oh, I had the same problem. I had the I, same problem. I, I read had to it start twice. it over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the thing. It like, like the John Glover stuff could be a whole other movie. Right. It's just, you know right. what I mean? And the doctor disappears midway through the movie. Here's how they introduce him. Here is his speech on torture. This is, I oh. thought this was a really effective opening. This is the bad guy, but then he kind of, like Brian says, they do this, and then he's kind of gone. I hit my microphone, sorry. Gentlemen, torture as a political instrument is no longer the crude and brutal extraction of information from one's enemies. It has become a subtle and sophisticated specialty to be carried out with medical and scientific precision. So that was it. You know, I thought that was uh and then he tortures a guy for like, it seems like it goes on for a good 10 minutes while his sister 
watches, which is even creepier. Yeah, and there's it sets up a whole. It, it definitely implies that there's some incestuous relationship yeah. going on between the sister and the doctor. I mean, the doctors and his sister. I mean, also, I thought it was really interesting, really weirdly '80s that they also peg the sister as being a lesbian. Like sort of a closeted lesbian, which in the minds of the filmmakers is an example of perversion, right? It's kind of, oh, she's so bad. She's also a lesbian. It's like, whoa. And and spoiler, she has uh, uses the the, the fine use of a prostitute, which I thought was hilarious, not hilarious. But there's a scene where the prostitute is leaving the the hotel and the henchmen, I guess, there to protect the sister throws like a paper wrapper at the prostitute well, which i'm like all right there's total 80s like this was like i what, was like what's also creepy just- about that that scene begins okay bronson so this this young woman goes up to the sister's uh hotel room or whatever the heck it is and bronson's in the room but he has to hide under the bed that old under trick where two people are going to make love and the dude's hiding under the bed but what's what struck me and there's a lot of dialogue like this the sister goes to the prostitute oh do you want to shower <laughs> Yeah. You know, and the prostitute goes, no, nah, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's so gross. It's like, what is this movie? Uh, also, this is just random dialogue. Uh, this is Charles Bronson being approached by a, a drug dealer. Hey, mister, do you want some dope? Sir? I said dope. Do you want any? You have elephant? Huh? You have Ming Toy Dog? Huh? I guess you don't. <laughs> I don't know what, what is that? Bronson's actually some kind of hippie hipster Brooklyn-esque uh, uh, dope expert as well, and that drug dealer is actually they're they're working for the doctor. You know, they're they're investigating Bronson while he's investigating them. The movie starts off with just to kind of go through the the story itself a little bit. It opens with Charles Bronson throwing a knife. It's shot in black and white, and you think it's not a it's not a it's not foreshadowing. It's it's like here's the preview for the movie. It's as if they inserted a coming attraction at the beginning yeah, of the movie. It was a weird it was a weird title card that like they didn't do that for any other character and it just sort of didn't fit the opening. Like it actually took you out of the movie for a second because it was definitely weird. It was like, "Oh yeah, we need three more seconds to make this movie this amount of minutes. Let's just add this in here." Like it made no sense it was like a drunk steven soderbergh might do something like that with a cool freeze frame when they introduce the character but yeah they only do it for bronson and it has nothing to do with anything you're not even introduced to bronson until 10 minutes later and again it starts with that torture scene i played the opening clip that's that's literally played during the credits is this guy giving his philosophy on how torture is a is a useful political tool to control the masses which is just a bizarre that's a pretty heady message for a chuck bronson Bronson, you know, it's implied that he maybe he worked for the CIA. He was a contract killer. Maybe he was taking it. I don't know. It doesn't they don't say whether he took out good guys, bad guys or just took out anybody for for a price. Uh, They don't really come down either way. But the first thing he does when he accepts accepts the job, he's like, well, by the way, I want to go as a family man. I need to bring a woman and a child with me into this hellscape police state where I'm going to try to kill the head torturer of the country, which makes no sense. But that's how they get Teresa Saldana in the movie. I just thought that whole subplot there, because here's the other thing. The subplot of having of having the mother and child sort of of tag along. Yeah. And also, like, it's not really a love interest. But you know they, play I mean? it, they play it like but maybe they play it is it like, yeah, <laughs> really which creepy. is even weirder, which is weirder. And that's where it kind of took me out of it. Like there's she's not the love interest, but she's sort of the plot device is she, she's just brought there as a, a decoy or, you know, like it was definitely weird. And, and it was like, why is she in this movie? And she can she constantly badmouths Bronson. I mean, rightfully so. Yeah. She's like, this guy's yeah. a cold blooded killer. I want nothing to do with him. This guy has no remorse. This There's something wrong with this guy. And she brings it up to Bronson. Like, how can you do these horrible things to other human beings and not be affected by it? Bronson never gives, he never gives anything even remote no. to an answer. So it's like, why are they? He just goofily smiles at her, literally. 
And ha- it's weird because like Bronson seems like he's flirting with her, and she's like, "Hey, you're, maybe that would be the response of someone who's a total uh, psycho." But it it just doesn't work. And it, but it's entertaining because it's so stupid, and it's Teresa Saldana and Charles Bronson interacting yeah, yeah. in this weird, uh, awkward way. And again, it's a, I have in my notes. These are my handwritten notes I, I made. I hit my microphone again. It's a B movie through and through, uh, but it's not like the type of later Bronson. It's not Death Wish 3, 4. No. There isn't a, an attempt to establish some type of story. It seems like Bronson's character, it seems like he's trying to act. Like in this script, they have some themes they're trying to explore, but it just kind of doesn't work. But what absolutely works, it reminds me of the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Bronson's a slasher. Bronson is essentially Jason Voorhees in this movie because it's full of inventive kills. And that's essentially, however, one hour into this podcast episode, that's the only thing really the evil that men do is remembered for. There's the bar scene where, again, Charles Bronson, as the protector of this woman, whose husband was tortured to death by the doctor, the head torturer of this country. I think it's Guatemala. I'm not 100% sure. It's hard to tell where any of these mistakes. Maybe it's Mexico. I don't know. He brings her into the diviest dive criminal cartel controlled bar you could ever enter. And she's like dressed in white. They also, I should uh, uh, interrupt myself. They go to a cockfight. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. To trail fight in this movie. To trail the doctor, they go to a a cockfight, and the doctor, who's this British aristocrat, has like a box seat. Now, you know, we we all know a stereotypical cockfight, what it looks like in movies, right? We all know, we can all picture that. Bronson's wearing a suit. (laughs) So, and she's wearing like business attire from 1980, like a pantsuit from 1981. So that doesn't make sense. Uh, He brings her into this to this bar and the first thing that happens he goes to get beer and some like you know giant dude like a literally a literally a guy who has some kind of a gigant gigantism disorder like an andre the giant type disorder or i guess it was a known actor and would get parts like that he starts hitting on the woman and bronson grabs the guy's crotch and twists it around and puts his foot on the guy's neck and kills him in a pretty it's a shocking scene uh <laughs> And then, of course, the guy, whoever, the, the preacher from They Live, gets up and is like, hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, like, he's yeah. immediately like, it's implied that he's turned on by watching this. And also, oh, and I forgot to mention, so they go to this bar. But in my version, now this isn't in the YouTube version. In my version on Stars, there are two scenes prior to this where the doctor tells his head minion guy that They Live, that Jason Saint, whatever his name is, he tells him, you have the night off, Randolph. That's his name in the movie. Randolph, you have the night Randolph. off. Yeah, yeah. And then Randolph goes to another minion. Oh, the doctor gave me a night off. And I'm like, why are they emphasizing this guy has a night off? What does he do on his night off? Oh, here's what he does. After he sees this man get his testicles mashed up, he apparently becomes aroused, approaches Bronson and Teresa Saldana, who are uh, appearing to be their disguise, or not disguise, but they're playing off like their man and wife. So they sit down on the bar, and this is the conversation they have. Not your usual tourist attraction. Well, we're not your usual tourists. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> life just gets dull and uh, nothing like a little variety to spice things up. That's right. You know, Nancy and me, we come from a small town up in Nebraska. And we always have to go someplace else for excitement and variety. You know? Well, Bart, uh, just um, what kind of excitement are you looking for? No, me and Nancy, we've been into a lot of things. We've learned tricks you wouldn't believe. We've been into things like wife swapping and... You married? No, I'm divorced. But remember, three's company and four is definitely proud. Man, I am down for anything or anybody. Three's all right with me? (laughs) It's definitely all right with me. Oh, Lord, that is... So that that whole dialogue wasn't in the Stars version that I watched. Okay. They cut okay. it off really quickly. And then the next scene is, I think, a really cool scene where Bronson does. He, just, he does all that to lure this guy back with the promise of, 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 of screwing his wife. He throws the knife in the guy's throat. Yeah. 
the yeah. guy pulls it out. I thought that was a pretty cool, effective death scene because that's what this movie has going for it. There's also a scene then from there. So he takes out the henchmen one by one in his quest to get to the doctor. He throws another guy off, totally unnecessary. He, he basically has killed the guy, but he decides to wrap his head around a fire hose from a top floor of a hotel and throw the guy out. And of course, throw the guy out the window, yeah. And this movie is such a little nasty that the guy comes to as he's on like the, the railing about to be thrown over, so you get a nice scream out of him. And Bronson does that because he's kidnapping the sister's doctor, I mean the doctor's sister, so he needs a distraction. And that's a whole other thing. Bronson's character is almost every bit as unscrupulous as the doctor himself. As the doctor. <laughs> he do his actions directly result in Teresa Saldana's daughter getting well, kidnapped because he just... Well, again. <laughs> he just... He basically starts this war with the guy and uses the daughter, as, I mean, it's not said in the movie, uh, as bait. Did you catch, Brian? I was shocked because I don't remember this from the original... I mean, the original time I saw it. There's a scene where Teresa Saldana is talking to Charles Bronson, and essentially it comes out in the dialogue very quickly that Bronson's, uh, the reporter had come to Bronson and said, can you please kill the doctor? Bronson said no. So Bronson no, was yeah. basically responsible for the reporter's death, and it's kind of like that's why he took this job. That's because why he took the job. It was yeah. his fault. But the way Bronson, I wish I should have pulled this clip, but I'm a moron. The way Bronson just, replies in that stoic you know porn-esque delivery of charles bronson oh now that is out oh boy oh it's out now everything is out yeah <laughs> it's just he just throws it off like it's no big deal yeah i'm sorry i got your husband i'm sorry lady what do you want from me broad charles bronson is reciting dialogue from another movie and there's also I, you know, when John Glover, all right, so there's a, the third act of the movie is Charles Bronson has kidnapped, and spoiler alert, he kidnaps the doctor's sister. Meanwhile, the doctor has kidnapped Teresa Saldana's daughter. Bronson immediately gets the sister killed by accident. She's shot in the head. He stuffs her in a, in a trunk. There's a car chase. He gets her killed, but he, the doctor doesn't know this, so he plays like she's alive. Now, at one point, he stops in you know a Mexican bar, like a Sam Peckinpah-esque yes. Mexican bar. John Glover and another American who we don't even know anything about. I, I mean, it, is, it is assumed these are CIA guys. Maybe John yeah, Glover like is State Department slash CIA. And the other guy, the not John Glover guy, knows Bronson. They had the two have a backstory, and you're like, oh, that that's a that's sort of interesting, right? But then Bronson just immediately shotguns him. He pulls out a shotgun. Well, Bronson is sweaty, like there's a lot of sweat. Like, yeah, it was filmed on like, the, really this entire sweaty. movie is on location. Should, I, I don't know if we pointed that out. There are no sets. This is all filmed uh, in Mexico, so it does. And it, you, yeah, there's a lot of sweaty dudes. Like it's not. Yeah. It, and it, it and looked it's miserable. A, a scene that literally. Hey, I'm just getting rid of two people in this scene. Like we got to kill these two characters. Happen. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know what's going to happen before it's over, and it's over that quick to the point. Like he makes a comment, "Oh, that guy wore a blue blue proof vest," and then he shoot, you know, and he shot him in the face afterwards. But it was hilarious because when you see the scene, his chest does explode with blood, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, he had a bulletproof vest," and <laughs> then shoots him in the head. It's like, what the heck is going on? The very end, and again, spoilers. Although, screw you if you didn't see this movie. You should watch it. Um, it ends with Bronson and Saldana seek refuge in what they thought is an abandoned mining facility, right? Like, I mean, like an old school, like 1885 mining facility. And it turns out that there's all these people working there. Men, actually, it was mostly men. Men and a couple of children, they share. Yeah, a couple of children, yeah. But, like, you know, the one guy that Bronson... Hey, what are you guys doing here? I thought this was abandoned. The guy's like, no, we, this is how we feed our families, dude. Who are you? This is where we work. Now, half his face is horribly burned. Yes. And there's like, you see that all these people are disfigured or they're missing limbs, <laughs> you know, or something like that. Let me just ask you, Brian, as a makeup artist, as a special effects makeup artist, uh, what did you think? Well, I thought it was he half of, alligator. Uh, <laughs> it was an interesting, you know what though? As a kid, that image, always, that guy's face always yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, I mean, is that a pretty was, standard appliance? Sure. Yeah. Like, I don't, I didn't, you know, I mean, it would have been a cool character nowadays to remake that. And I'm sure it would be so much different, but it was definitely a B movie makeup. 
So the doctor shows up in like his Lincoln town car and he's got the daughter, a gun to her or his henchman has a, has a gun to the head and blah, blah, blah. So long story short, it turns out obviously that these are all people the doctor has tortured and now they all have pickaxes and they, I mean, the end of this movie takes, it feels like it takes an hour. Yeah. It's it's the most, I mean, this is the most leftist Antifa movie ever made. They all come together. the, The peasants, essentially the Hollywood peasants, and they they literally chop the guy to death. They 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 they're the heroes, which I thought was for a Bronson movie. It's still interesting because usually you know you get the hero in a one liner. Bronson is just pretty much relegated to the, a cave, and he just walks away with the the girl, uh, you know, the daughter and Teresa Saldana, and these people who have been tortured by this guy get their revenge by chopping him into a million pieces, which I thought was a was a pretty good ending. Well, I was going to say, dare I say this, this was like an A movie ending in the sense that it like really like uh, the bad guy, the it wasn't a revenge, ba- like it was the revenge of the people he, he scorned. You know what I mean? Like that is such a a, a weightier ending than the ending of, of the B movie ending if Bronson just shot the guy. Like it was I, a really like smart ending. I think that's kind of a, a dumb movie. Yeah. You know I mean? And I think that to your point. I have this theory, right? Because uh, Johnny Amenta from Pita Comics a couple of weeks ago was saying, hey, we should, we, we me, Brian and I should come on Pita Comics and, and do an episode about 48 hours, which we had just talked about 48 hours a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, because of the Voir thing, there's, a, there's, a, there's an essay on 48 hours that's really good on Netflix if you look up Voir and watch it. Uh, so I've been thinking about this. I have this theory in my head. I even wrote it down. Like, my theory is that there was a strange transition happening around the time this movie came out, especially for, for lower budget, quote unquote, action movies. Because what an action movie from the 70s, you can't think of in terms of what we think of an action movie today. It's not, there's not as much action. Yeah. It's, not, it's yeah. not what it is. It's a whole different thing. So you had these mid-tier action movies. They were sort of conceived in the very late, 70s, right? This movie is basically a product of 1978, 1979, got made in the early 80s. That 70s era of experimentation in films, the auteur era was was over by this point, by the time this got released. For sure. But but there wasn't yet that sort of defining dumb 80s era action movie yet. No, 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 no. This was uh before like a uh like the Rambo sequels or where Schwarzenegger took it up, where it was more of the steroids and high octane explosions. Yes. Like, cause even if you watch the action here, it's going to look cheap. Yes. So you had um, this, you had like this transition of these sort of strange action movies. And I was thinking specifically, and, and these are bigger budgets, Sharky's machine directed yep. by Burt Reynolds, who, I mean, the guy's making, you know, stroke race, and, and a whole, you know, smoking the band at 19. And then he comes out with this like philosophical movie about existential dread called Sharky's Machine, which is a really decent cop movie, which I don't think yeah. it would ever get, it wouldn't have been made before. And it certainly would not have been made since. Nighthawks, which I think nope, is a really right. effective, yeah. weird cop movie with uh, Billy D. Williams, Sylvester Stallone, and Rutger Hauer, apparently plagued with problems to the point where there was a, a masterpiece in there, but they released what they released. But it's a, it's a good, pulpy neo-noir, I think. And I think The Evil That Men Do is sort of the B-tier version of yes. that weirdness. They hadn't quite... Yes. Form, I mean, 48 Hours was out, but I, I don't think it had... That movie hit, like, you know, like they turned the lights on, you know, and like roaches yes. scurried. Yeah. You had 48 yeah. Hours come, and that invented sort of the modern buddy movie. And buddy then, like movie, you said... Yeah. You had uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone being, and I also I would put I would put First Blood, the first uh, Rambo movie. Oh yeah, in yeah. that class, that's and that's probably the most effective. But there are these weird semi-political. What are they trying to say? Uh, movies, and, and that was my impression. And they were all macho men. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Uh- like, well, for instance, right after superheroes, movie, they weren't they weren't like like you said, no, they're no, not no, commandos, no, no, no. Yeah. but like chauvinistic, I, you know, in a, in a in a more woke area. These are definitely cisgender white males. You know what I mean? These are definitely to the point where after this movie, I watched rewatched because I actually it's unapologetically a great movie. Uh, 
I watched Dragged Across the Concrete right after this, ah. which I I really like that movie. And I'm sorry to say if that offends anyone. I mean, I, I, I we have a little history. I mean, we, we've talked about that movie ad nauseum, but it's a movie. You know, much like this movie probably wouldn't, you know, in this political state we're in and then more enlightened society. It's a movie that it's I'm almost like, oh, I shouldn't say that I like that movie. And I feel like a lot, but it's a movie like these movies back then, these these 80s Bronson movies were they're just unapologetic. They're right. just that's what they are. They're they're the tagline they give you in a trailer or the poster. Well, that's that's the movie. There's no right. You know, there's no nothing deeper. And and I was thinking this when when uh, like the movie started, this is a movie that like celebrates killing. It's like yeah. there's no bones that Bronson, it, you know, he doesn't explain why he kills. Like he, Teresa Saldana asks him, but this is a movie that's like, yeah, this other guy, the doctor, deserves to die, and all his people deserve to die, and Bronson's going to kill each one of them, and that's yes. You know, there's and, no and- Jay Lee Thompson. There is no second guessing that. It's not like these Superman movies or these new Marvel where they're always like trying to roll around in their head the good, the bad, and the ugly of whatever decision they're making, which you know has become so old. But also, the bad guys are borderline stereotype. Uh, you know, I don't want to say racist, but like they're just so like played to the diabolical villain level. But it makes like that whole society of people look bad. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's know, a, yeah, it's a movie. The, the American time, comes definitely. in and saves, saves the day. Like it's <laughs> right. very much that. Right. Yeah. They got to get this, this is geriatric retired, yeah. uh, uh, but that white American said, man, dude let, to help him out. Yeah. Let me just say this. If they were, I, I was really thinking like, could this movie ever get remade? It could never get remade the way it is. But if you were to remake this movie, my my idea would be either, and you mentioned it before. You mentioned uh, Steven Soderbergh in this, or George Clooney. Have those guys, one of those guys, direct the movie. George Clooney, in the sense that he's made that Syriana movie, he made Argo, you know, or you know, produced Argo. Like it, it's, uh, you know, it has. It, you could bring some of the politicalness back into the movie and make it more of a thriller type revenge movie and you get somebody like scoop mcneary or uh or josh brolin to play the 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 the, the you know the bronson role like a, a tough guy if you went with uh brolin it's more the tough guy you know more bronson but if you went a different route they're more conflicted be, or they're yeah they're, yeah some yeah sense it would be the scoop mcneary and then the bad guy like i love this actor clifton collins jr because he's of that you know I mean, I thought if you're to pick a, a British white guy, well, then it would have to be Ralph Finn. How do you say his name? Fine. Ralph Finn- I, I, I don't Fine. know. I don't know. Ralph Fine. Ralph Fine doing a yeah, like James Bond villain, you know, a James Bond villain type. And then if you had to recast to like a John Glover, you get uh, like Bob Odenkirk. It is. Bob play, Odenkirk would be awesome. Like would be a great like scumbag CIA guy. That's always working both sides. You'd be sorry. But I, yeah. You know what's interesting? You, yeah, you do bring up a good point. This movie's so racist that not only do do like you know essentially the villagers have to bring in Charles Bronson, yeah. the white guy, to save the day. The the military guys, the military leaders who are corrupt, and the political leaders, they also have a white guy. They can't do it well, themselves. They got to bring in the old. I just thought of that. Yeah, that is like, pretty ridiculous. It is funny because it's like such a uh, proper. I think he's from Scotland, maybe. But he's from I, he's act- from Ireland. He's Irish. Ireland. Actually. Okay, so. It's uh, it's so funny that it's the bad, you know, white knight kind of like bad guy. You know what I mean? And it doesn't make any sense when it would be more of like a Gaddafi, a, you know, like more of a, you know, a leader like that type thing. And it's not. It's it's, you know, some white guy wearing a bow tie. It's the guy from Mary Poppins. Like I said, yeah, yeah, it takes you out of the movie a little bit. But those were the 80s. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, you had to, yeah, it had to, uh. and every brown guy is either a bad guy or a victim, and that's what it also makes it like a weird thing yeah. watching it now. Yeah, yeah, that's jarring to watch it all these years later. You're like, oh, whoa. Also, just randomly, there's at the opening scene there where they're torturing the guy, the camera pans over all the military guys who are there for training. And one of them has a giant uh, sweat under his uh, sweat stains in his pits, which is just like, that's weird. Nobody (laughs) caught that. Like, I've never seen that in the movie before. The guy is literally sweating through his damn uniform because it must have been legitimately hot. 
But I guess that's it, right? That was a yeah. episode. I thought it was going to be 25 minutes. I guess that's what happens when you actually try to prepare. You end up uh, not shutting up for an hour, and that's what just happened. It so, was a good one to revisit, man. I, I I enjoyed this one. Yeah, once I finally, yeah, forced myself to sit through it. I mean, it is. It's only an hour and a half, so... But uh, just just getting to that point. I, and that's the thing about this particular podcast. I don't think either of us are big on going back. And I don't like watching movies I've seen before, which is, I guess, oh. kind of weird. That's like a podcast thing, a movie review podcast thing. You Well, I was going to say, we don't normally do that because we're always looking for the new thing. And, and we I hate mean, that, I do, but <laughs> I do, yeah, I, I, all do the new watch, stuff. I do watch old stuff but it's more like because it's work related and it just plays in the background like someone would play the radio yeah you're not getting um, prepared to actually speak about it for yeah which i am gonna say this for any of the viewers that know me uh and my snobbiness to horror movies i am super excited because i have coming maniac cop three they just came out with a deluxe edition or whatever. Supposedly there is a commentary. My buddy said it's incredible with Bill Lustig, Bill Lustig, the director. And then I guess the movie was taken over in editing and stuff. And maybe things were reshot by a guy named Joel Saison or Sky on or something like that. To the point where I think the movie is released. The commentary is billed as an Alan Smithy commentary because it's the two directors sitting down together talking what a piece of crap the movie is. Oh, and I wow. cannot, cannot, cannot wait to watch. Like the movie's horrible. Trust me, I've watched it a billion times. It's a horrible movie, but I've never been so excited for a commentary in years because I think it, what you're saying is we're more fascinated by what went on behind the scenes of some of these movies and sometimes watching these, I don't know, everyone does these old movies that I couldn't stand to begin with. And almost like they're kind of like too trendy. Yeah. They're I can't, I can't imagine now. sitting through some of them again. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, and, I'm always like, Oh, that that's it. But then I'm like, uh, no, I don't want to, I don't want to spend my time doing that. And my point exactly with this movie was, it was more refreshing because I barely remembered this movie. Yeah. I you know what I mean? That's so probably was, the key. You have to have some interest was, in seeing, and I remember liking it. So yeah, but all right, yeah, that's that's uh, an extra five minutes nobody needed on our philosophy of whether right. to watch old movies. So I'm Carlos Danger, and that was Mr. Brian Spears. And uh, hopefully, people enjoyed this episode. I'm just vamping until I can find the goddamn outro music. Oh, right, here it is. See you next time. Bye. Later. <laughs>